0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. So as we prepare to read uh, God's word together, uh, let's pray and ask his blessing. Lord God, we bow our heads. And as we open your perfect word, we ask you to open our hearts. We offer ourselves to you we can do no more and we dare do no less for you are our God, the Lord of hosts, our savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A reading of God's word will begin in 1 Corinthians seven, starting in verse one, and then we'll skip down and read from the middle of the chapter, but we'll start in 1 Corinthians seven, verse one. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another." To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's verses 1 through 9. And then verses 10 through 16 give practical counsel for uh, a believer living with an unbelieving husband or wife. Situation that uh, many in our flock are in. And then in verses 17 through 24, there's this refrain about living as you were called. When you were called to Christ, don't feel like you have to change your circumstances. You have to get married or become single or or if you're a slave or free or whatever it is, he says, live as you were called in 17 to 24. And then let's pick up our reading again in verse 25. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with the world. For the present form of this world is passing away. That's the phrase that's haunted me from this text for the last two weeks. The present form of this world is passing away. Then he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, about how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. or some translations end that verse, your undistracted devotion to the Lord, your undivided or undistracted devotion to the Lord. And that's what we'll read together from 1 Corinthians 7. And from this text, which is really unique and has a lot of issues going on in it, I wanna draw for our benefit five principles of godly guidance, both for marrieds and for singles. Five points. The first one will be a point for all of us. The second and third will be for some of us. Then the fourth and fifth again will be for all of us. So the first godly guidance to bring from this text is this, number one, all of us need to know that God commands and blesses sexual union only in marriage. All of us need to know that God commands and blesses sexual union Only in marriage, only in marriage. That's what all of us need to know. So this text is filled with interpretive challenges, significant interpretive challenges. They start right there in verse one when he says, now considering the matters about which you wrote. So this chapter is specific answers to specific questions that the Corinthians asked him. Only problem is we don't have those questions. We're listening in on one side of the conversation and we're trying to reconstruct what the questions might have been. We don't know what they were. But let's just agree on this. Does this sound familiar? The Corinthians were living in a sexually permissive time. Does that sound familiar? The Corinthians were living in a sexually licentious time. The Corinthians were living in a time... When traditional sexual morality was mocked and frowned upon and where all of the pathways to sexual perversion were celebrated, not only tolerated, but celebrated. Does that sound familiar? The Corinthian church was predominantly Gentile converts who had been discipled in the sexual ways of the world. And so their cultural understanding of manhood and womanhood, of marriage and singleness was from a corrupted world was how they understood these things. And the Corinthian culture viewed sex within marriage as maybe a necessary burden, but it was fine and even better to pursue sexual pleasure in whatever way you wanted outside of the bonds of marriage. This is the way the Corinthian, this is the culture the Corinthians were living in. That's why First Corinthians six. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 say what they say. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's why verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 6 says what it says. 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Flee from sexual immorality. All of us need to know that God commands and blesses sexual union only in marriage and we're to flee from all other sexual temptation. That's what this scripture is saying. Sexual activity is only right within the, in that covenant marriage between one man and one woman. Now, I trust, I trust uh, you'll believe me if I say it this way, even though it's a funny way to say it. I didn't become a pastor to talk to people about their sex lives. I became a pastor because I love God and I love people. Now, as a pastor, so many of the people that I love have come really close to ruining their lives with their ungodly sexual practices that because I love God and I love them, We have to talk very candidly and very frankly about those things. So many people that I love have harmed themselves with premarital and extramarital sexual activity. Single people, possibly engaged, uh, or maybe engaged, maybe not, but living together. very common for unmarried persons to be living together when they start attending church. And when I get to know them, it's because I love God and I love them, I tell them very clearly, you know, we all need to know this, God only commands and blesses that sexual union within marriage. Um, You can imagine maybe I have been told every self-serving, excuse-making argument that you can imagine, but we really love each other, but we're going to get married, but we made a covenant that we'll be monogamous to each other. But marriage is just a piece of paper. But if we do get married, it'll mess up our, uh, our government pension benefits or whatever it is. And every time I hear every one of those excuses, I always say the same thing. That is self-serving baloney. Close your mouth. Open your ears and hear what the word of God says. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification That is, that you refrain from every hint of sexual immorality. God's word is very clear about this. No exceptions, no special circumstances. That's what God's word says, and we should receive it as a blessing. We should receive it as for our protection. This text says that, one of the things it says is it's better to marry than to burn, It's saying the only legitimate way, the only legitimate outlet for those God-given sexual passions is within the covenant of marriage, and God has graciously provided for that. And if you're unmarried, then you seek the Lord to provide for you self-control and that humble-hearted obedience to His perfect plan. That's the first point, and I trust that's clear to us from God's word. That's the point that we all need to know. Let me give you points two and three um, together because they both start with a some singles. Point number two is some singles need to move because their desire for marriage is too weak. And the third point is the same thing the other side. Some singles need to wait because their desire for marriage is too strong. Some singles need to move or get moving because their desire for marriage is too weak. That's the second one. And the third one is some singles need to wait because their desire for marriage is too strong. It's about waiting or moving and knowing which one you are to do. Uh, Let me open this up with a quick story that happened to me this week when I was getting gas. And we all know the best gas station to get gas at, right? Right? Quick Trip is the best. You, you can buy a banana or an apple in there. They don't overcharge. The air is free. The ATM has no charge. This is, I just love Quick Trip. It's my spot. Uh, I tried to take Amy there on date night. She was like, no, not happening. Uh, a man can dream. Uh, so I was at Quick Trip and I had to get air in my tire. And so the air at, at quick trip, the air is not only free, but it's also better than at the mobile station because it has the, the beeper on it. You set, the, you set that I want it to be at 38 PSI or AC DC or whatever it is. And then, then when you put it in, when it gets up to the level, it beeps for you. So it's perfect. So I'm getting, get, I'm getting air in my tire and this obnoxious guy wants the air. And so he pulls up like almost touching my bumper, as close as he can get. And he turns up his music even louder than it was. So he's just kind of sending me a signal, hurry up. He's right on my tail. He's playing this loud music. It had uh, naughty words in it. And um, so so here's what happened. I'm putting the air in all four of my tires. And now that he's so close to me, when I want to go from the back to the front, I can't just, I have to go all the way around the long way because he's so close to me. And because his music is so loud, I can't hear when the thing beeps for me. So every time I'm loading a tire, I got to look up and look at the number, stop, look up and look at the number. So in his effort to hurry me, what did he do? He made everything take twice as long. Uh, This happened to me last week. And as soon as I was driving away from there, uh, I thought, This is pretty much the way we do everything in our lives. We're trying to hurry God, turn it up, hurry up. And it just makes it longer and more painful. So as far as godly guidance, some singles need to move quicker because their desire for marriage is too weak. They're too selfish. But then on the flip side of that, some singles need to wait because their desire for marriage is too strong and they they need to love God more than they love the idea of being married. So let's talk about both of those just briefly. The second point, some singles need to move because their desire for marriage is too weak. There are some who are single who are using their singleness for selfish indulgence, which is not the will of God. This is the video game playing of perpetual adolescence. This is spiritual laziness. This is the inertia of selfish indulgence, love of self, fear of commitment, such folks may need or such folks do need an encouragement to grow up and start, s- start aiming your life at something more than your own selfish fulfillment. You need to get your life behind something you can really push for and work toward. That's, you, you notice, I hope, when we read this, What kept coming up in 1 Corinthians 7 is devotion to Christ, devotion to Christ, service to Christ's church, service to Christ's church. That's what needs to happen. So some people really do need to get moving away from selfishness and toward getting married. Well, uh, what do I do if that's me? You know, this is just one more thing I want to say as far as practical counsel. It's true that God is all you need and you just need to trust in Jesus But the problem is, if we use that phrase as a cliche, we end up neglecting that God, the God in whom we trust, uses the means of our disciplined and self-controlled decision-making and obedience to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In other words, I wouldn't just say, well, trust God. Uh, Nobody's going to get a college degree by just trusting God. You're not going to get your order fulfilled at Culver's by just trusting God. God uses means. He wants you to clear your throat, use your voice, and do what he's called you to do. So if this is the case and you're too selfish and you're just using your singleness for selfish indulgence, what should you do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Repent of sexual sin. Break up with and cease that relational chasing of anyone who is not immediate marriageable material. Uh, pursue holy living. Repent of uh, that just the lazy way that you use all your time to indulge yourself. If it's video games or movies or whatever it is, set, set one day a week when you can do that and use the other six days to serve the Lord and do something more productive. Work hard, save money, get out of debt, show self-control. Invest in nurturing relationships in the church and prove that you know how to do that. Take all these steps if you're a single who needs to move because your desire for marriage is too weak. But the third point, the flip side, some singles need to wait because their desire for marriage is too strong. The desire for marriage is a good thing. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The desire for marriage is a good thing, but here's the question. Church, are you ready for this question? I hope you know the answer to this question. Can the desire for a good thing become a bad thing in the life of a human being? Can the desire for a good thing become in itself a bad thing in the life of a human being? And the answer to that question is yes. The evil in that desire is not located in the object of the desire. The object of the desire is a licit or a, or, or a, um, a, a, a God-ordained object. It's fine. It's not in what we want, but in the fact that uh, we want it too much. And so that desire becomes an idol in our imagination, And that desire actually becomes a blockage in the arteries of our heart affection for Jesus. And that desire becomes a stumbling block in our walk of obedience. And that's what happens. It becomes an idol in our imagination. It becomes a blockage in our heart affection for Jesus. And it becomes a stumbling block in our walk of obedience. So for some singles, maybe you need to wait because your desire for marriage has become actually stronger than just your desire to glorify God. Verse 35 says that if you are single, the purpose for you to use your singleness, the end of verse 35, is for undistracted devotion to the Lord. You'd think from some poor advice that's given, even some Christian books that give this poor advice, you'd think that the purpose of singleness is just stoking your own self-centered discontentment. It's not. The purpose of singleness is devotion to the Lord Jesus, so the desire to be married is good. Give that desire to God, trust God with it, and then do what you can. Mentor someone younger, uh, care for someone aged, invest in relationships in the family of God. Do what you can, but trust the Lord with the rest of it. And let me, let me slow down and say, what do I mean by trust the Lord? Because that can sometimes be an unhelpful cliche. When I say trust the Lord, this is what I mean. One, know the Lord in whom you trust. Two, actually trust the Lord that you say you trust. Number one, know the God in whom you trust. And second, actually trust him when you say that you trust him. The first part of that, know the Lord in whom you trust, know God whom you trust, know this. Here's a, a, I'll say it with a big theology word first and then I'll, I'll pack it in with littler ones. God is omniscient, and God is omnipotent. So, in God's omniscience, He has good, divine reasons for withholding from you something that in His omnipotence He could give you. Know the God in whom you trust know that God is all-powerful. Of course, he could get you married within three months, three days, three hours. Of course he could. God is all-powerful. God is also all-knowing and all-wise. And there will be many times that his wisdom uh, causes or prevents or in his wisdom, he decides to withhold from you something that he actually could give you. And you have to trust him to make those decisions. He may or may not reveal to you the reasons. But he's God and you can trust him. And I say this not just to the singles. That hasn't been the thing that I've struggled through. But I say this to you as someone who has struggled with this. Because this is struggling all of our lives. It's true for married people too. It's true for married people who want kids and can't have them. It's true for married people who have kids who don't yet love the Lord and they're just yearning and fasting and praying for those prodigals to come home. It's true for those who, it's true for all of us for one or another circumstance in our lives. We have to trust the Lord. We have to know the God in whom we trust and then we have to actually trust him. We have to know the God in whom we trust and we have to actually trust him. What does it mean to actually trust him? It's it's not, it's not abstract It's very realistic and very concrete. Every one of us, every one of you, as you go through life, it's an either or. Every one of you, as you go through life, you either uh, accumulate discontentment or you divest yourself of discontentment. And the hinge point is your trust and your thanksgiving to the Lord your God. Every one of you as you go through life, you accumulate discontentment or you divest yourself of discontentment. And the hinge point there is your thanksgiving to and trust of the living God. Every one of you as you go through life, you either accumulate restless anxiety or you are continually unburdened of restless anxiety. And the difference maker, the crucial differentiating factor, is whether or not you actively trust God. Do you know the God that you say you trust, and do you really trust Him actively, daily, actually? If you have no trust in God and no prayer life and no thanksgiving to God, then all you can do is accumulate discontentment and regret and restless longing. But if you have a relationship with Jesus where you trust him and you know what it means to cast your cares upon him, then you can every day divest yourself of those anxieties and those discontentments. It doesn't take all of the pain away. It might not even take most of the pain away. But it takes the... How can I put it? It takes the soul's unrequited longings away because the soul is connected to the God who made it. So trust God. Trust God. Those are points two and three for singles, for some need to do one, some need to do the other. Now let me give you the fourth and then the fifth, and those are back to all of us. Point number four, directly from 1 Corinthians 7, all of us need to know that singleness is good. All of us need to know that singleness is good. None of us should look down on singles. All of us need to know that singleness is good. And 1 Corinthians 7 says that none of us should look down on single persons. How often is it in a church with healthy families and a growing children's ministry that members in the church look at a single person and think, what's wrong with them? Maybe they don't say it, but they think it. Because we look down on singleness. Like marriage and kids is plan A, and singleness is always an inferior plan B. But 1 Corinthians 7 clearly says that single people do not need to be prayed for and pitied any more than married people do some singles here in this church are already too pestered by well meaning matchmakers and uh, they they don't need that what this text says over and over in 1st corinthians 7 is it says the gift of singleness is a good gift each one, verse 7, each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He says that He says that time and time again. He says in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He says again in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order. He says three or four or five times there, what, the singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift, whatever gift you have, enjoy it and use it under God's grace. The gift of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, here's a little bit of an interpretive issue that I'm just figuring out myself. The gift of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7 is not a spiritual gift like the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy, teaching, and so on. God's not, I don't think the Holy Spirit is saying in 1 Corinthians 7, if God has given you the gift of singleness and you go and get married, you've blown it and now you've ruined God's plan for your life. That's not what it's saying. The gift of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7 is not some sacred, special, lifelong gift. It's simply, in whatever state you're in, a good gift from God right now. Like if, if you have a good mom and she's still alive, that's a good gift from God. If you have a good roommate, that's a good gift from God. If you're currently married or currently single, that's a good gift from God in your life right now. I just say that to to say, I I don't wanna read 1 Corinthians 7 in a way that puts undue burdens and pressures on us. What the apostle says when he comes up for breath in this chapter two or three times is, I'm not placing burdens on you. I'm trying to not place burdens on you. I'm just saying, whatever state you're in, honor God in that state. Singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Both are good gifts from God. It's not a lifelong, super special calling. We get this issue of calling from verses 17 and following. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? And he says, at the time of your call, you were circumcised, uncircumcised, you were a slave, you were free, you were married, you were single. Calling here is calling to Jesus Christ, calling to salvation. The calling here is calling to salvation. And specifically what he says in verses 17 and following is this. The call to salvation is so important that it almost renders every other circumstance, like whether or not you're married or not, almost immaterial. Because the calling to salvation is that important. So he's not saying, if you're called to singleness, don't mess it up and get married. That's not the the intent of this text. The calling uh, is to salvation, and the gift of singleness is not some lifelong, super special calling. Everyone has the gift of singleness until they're married. I used to have it. I don't got it no more. And then if your spouse dies... If a spouse divorces you, you have the gift of singleness again, maybe for a season, maybe for the rest of your life, but it's a gift that you may have, then, it may be, then maybe you don't have it, then you have it again. That, that's what this text seems to me to be saying. It's certainly saying that the ultimate import is your relationship with Christ and your pursuit of Christ. Don't make whether you're married or single the biggest deal in the world. Your greatest contentment better not come from your marriage. better come from Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again, because he was helpful in preparing of this sermon, uh, this book by Christopher Yuan. It was just published this year, called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. He teaches at Moody. Wonderful book. He has two or three chapters in that book on singleness. One of the things that he says in there is, life without sexual intimacy, life without romantic love is not a deficient life. Life without Jesus is a deficient life. The chief end of man is not to marry and have babies. The chief end of man is not to fall in love and get married. The chief end of man is to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify him forever. Now, maybe one of the ways you're glorifying God is by being married and having babies. Great, have more of them. We'll build more space for them. But if you're not married, you can glorify God without being married. Don't make it the biggest deal in the world. Singleness is good. Don't look down on those who are single. And then number five, the last point, all of us need to know that there are ways in which singleness is better. All of us need to know that there are ways in which singleness is superior. All of us need to know that there are ways, specific ways, that singleness is superior or better. And this comes right out of the text again. Verse 26. Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. But if you're free from a wife, do not seek a wife. The present distress could be difficulties, economic difficulties or persecution difficulties. But one of the things that he says in that paragraph there is that having, if there is stress in your life, if there's difficulty in your life, having a family can make that difficulty amplified and magnified. And for some, it's better to be single. If you're married and you do marriage the right way, then the pain in your life is magnified. Because if you do marriage the right way, or if you do parenting the right way, if I love Amy the way that I should, then when she suffers a hurt, that should hurt me more than when I suffer a hurt. If I love both of my sons and my daughter and my son-in-law the way that I should, then the, the hot tears that fall from my eyes when I know they're suffering should be hotter and saltier than the tears that fall from my eyes when I'm suffering. and he's kind of saying if you're not married and you don't have children, you don't have to suffer those pains. He's very explicit about it later in verse 28, or in verse, uh, yeah, in verse 28, if you do marry, you haven't sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. You see? And look at verses 32 and 33. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Then he says the same thing about the woman. The unmarried woman is free to follow the Lord and be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman has to be anxious about worldly things. This is saying that there are many specific ways in which singleness is better. So if you are single, don't draw a cartoon of marriage that it is nothing but hearts and chocolates and canaries and rainbow unicorns and squirrels because it isn't. It isn't. Here's the truth. It may bother you to hear someone say it out loud, but this is not my opinion. This is the statement of the Holy Ghost here in 1 Corinthians 7. Single men, hear this from God's word. If you're going to get married, know this. Every woman in the world is high maintenance. (laughs) Single women. This is what the Holy Spirit says here. Single women. If you're thinking about getting married, know that the Holy Spirit says right here in verses 32 and following, every man in the world is a high maintenance man. And if you get married, it will require more maintenance than you feel like putting into it. It will. It will exhaust you. It will frustrate you. It will tire you out. It will also sanctify you and make you more like Jesus, but it will not be an easy road. And so he's literally saying here, I would, I would save you from that. And I would have you be as I am to be single. That's what he's saying. In many ways, singleness is superior and better. So I I say that to hopefully change a little bit of our paradigm because for, for all of the years of this church's existence, it's always been the same. You have a friend in a serious relationship and it's headed for marriage. They say, I think we may be getting married and we all go bananas, wedding bells, we're so happy. And there's someone in this church, a friend, who's single, and they've been single for a while, and it seems that they're going to stay single. In fact, they may say to me or to you, I'm, I'm fine being single. I'm not looking anymore. And our response, what? I have to fast for you. I have to cast the demon out of you. I have to pray for you. This is terrible. And I just think if the Apostle Paul was here and he was at least in the Holy Spirit sanctified mood that he was in when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7, his response would be the exact opposite. What? You're going to get married? I better fast and pray for you. (laughs) Wait, what? You feel that you should stay single? That's awesome! That's a win for Jesus and a win for this church. That's what he's saying in in this paragraph here. And it's actually beautiful. And it actually corrected my thinking, which I needed corrected. Our world doesn't get any of this. Our world says that singleness is for thoughtless, serial dating, and sexual promiscuity. But it's not just the world. Even in the church, we think that the chief end of life is romantic love. That's the grand prize. That's the gold standard. And for the rest of you, oh, if you can't get married, at least you can be a member of the church and have the love of the church. And this, this dishonors our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you never heard Jesus say, greater love has no one than this, that he fall in love and buy a ring and have a celebration. Greater love has no one than this, That a man lay down his life for his friend, for his friend. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. In this, is, in this, the love of God is manifest to us. In this, the love of God is manifest to us. That he sent his only son into the world that we should live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This, and only this, is the most lasting love. This and only this is the love that meets the soul's deepest need for forgiveness and belonging and meaning. This and only this, the love of Jesus Christ for us. And the wonderful, wonderful news of the gospel is that this love is here for singles and for marrieds and for all the family of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, hear your children as they pray. And I'd give you church just a moment to pray. Say, Lord, let me see and be assured of your love in the gospel. And Lord, let me understand my calling to pursue Christ, whether I'm married or whether I'm single. And maybe say, Lord, show me how I can be a true friend to somebody in this church, maybe somebody who's single. Show me how I can receive and share your love. Lord, hear your children as they pray and hearing answer in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.